the sensational long-run Broadway musical hit by Oscar Hammerstein, who gave you Showboat, Oklahoma, South Pacific, and The King and I. With the original Bizet music that made Carmen one of the most popular scores in the world. With a cast of show world favorites starring Harry Belafonte, Dorothy Dandridge, Pearl Bailey. With a new modern story of the exciting people and colorful places of America. It's ticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. Welcome back to Ticklish Business, the podcast devoted to honoring and deconstructing classic cinema. As you can tell, our fearless leader, Kristen, is away again this week. So this is Kim attempting to take over the reins. And I am joined as well by Samantha. Samantha, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm really excited for this discussion. Yes, yes, yes. We are tackling a fun one today. We are joined also by a special guest and a repeat visitor for those of you who are frequenters of our Patreon page. We are welcoming back Dominique Breckenridge, who joined Kristen early into 2021-ish to talk about introducing Dorothy Dandridge. So today we are talking about Dorothy Dandridge, who will be celebrating her centennial in November as well as the 1954 musical Carmen Jones. Dominique, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me back, having me back on. Oh, no, I listened to that podcast episode this morning, and it sounded like a great, interesting, fascinating discussion. So I'm really excited to dive into this today and see where we go. Dorothy Dandridge would be celebrating her centennial this year in November. So I thought it'd be great to just dive in and start out with a more general question. I know I had to admit last week on our Sidney Poitier episode that I am very much a newcomer to his work. And once again, we talk about another film, Carmen Jones, and then another star who I really don't have a lot of experience with, Dorothy Dandridge. So I wanted to ask Dominique and Samantha, both of you, just talk a little bit about your relationship with her as a performer I am beaming just to hear Dorothy Dandridge. And of course, when you mentioned Sir Sidney Poitier, but yes, Dorothy Dandridge has always been a part of my life, like fabricated in my life. I always tell the I Love Lucy story that I hear stories of myself of watching I Love Lucy before I can actually remember. And I would put Dorothy Dandridge in that same pocket. As a kid, you're already like fascinated with classic cinema and you're already loving these old classic movies. And then you see someone like her on screen and she looks like you and it's like, oh, so we were there too. So it just made it all that more fascinating and and wanting to get wrapped up into that world and seeing her, I, it just blew my mind. And then you put her in the ongoing learning, then you get, you know, Lena Horne and then, you know, Harry Belafonte and and Sir Sidney Poitier. And it's just like, it's just like a whole door opened up at a very, very, very early age that I've always just carried Dorothy Dandridge (laughs) with me as I moved on. And even in my career choice, I do theatrical productions. I always tried to find a way to implement something Dorothy Dandridge-esque in what I do. She's always kind of played in the back of my mind. So she's very prominent in my love for classic cinema and for actors and entertainers. I think she's 
a leading example of so many things than just what she's mostly associated with, with just Carmen Jones. I mean, it's like a whole pocket that she had at a very, very early age. So as you can tell, I can, I can, I can talk about Dorothy endlessly. This is, this is a good topic. I absolutely love that. I think that's so incredible. Honestly, I have to admit, Dorothy, in comparison to some of the other stars, Sydney Poitier, of course, being one that I'm obsessed with, Dorothy isn't one that I'm quite as familiar with. This was my second time seeing Carmen Jones. And outside of that, the only film that I had seen of hers was Sun Valley Serenade, which I think she's incredible in with the Nicholas Brothers. I absolutely adore the Nicholas Brothers. And seeing her in that was such a nice little surprise because the first time I watched it, I didn't even know she was going to appear. So I was really delighted by that. I've always appreciated Dorothy. I've seen pictures of her. In my mind, compare her as sort of the Black Marilyn, just in her glamour, her beauty, her dynamic personality. But I really am missing out on a lot of her films. I think Carmen and Sun Valley Serenade, which of course she has a bit part pretty much just one song. Those are the only two I've seen, but I definitely want to see more. I just watched the A&E biography documentary on Dorothy from the 90s and seeing little movies and appearances of hers in that, particularly Duel in the Sun, I really want to see now. That's going right on my watch list. Prior to this, I had seen pretty much the clips of Carmen Jones from Nass Entertainment. And I watched that for the first time yesterday and then actually revisited clips today because the music was in my head and I wanted to revisit it and look at some things. I visited Bright Road from 1953, which i done a lot of reading about there. And there are clips throughout on YouTube. It's not, it looks like it's hard-ish to find, but I was at least able to see a bit of it. And then the decks run red with James Mason, which I was stunned. I won't lie. I went into that. Wasn't sure what I was expecting. She was amazing. That film was so tight, so tense. It was just leaps and bounds above anything I was expecting. So I'm like, I can't wait to dive into more. James Mason, anything I'm in. (laughs) I'm in, and Dorothy (laughs) Gingers probably makes it even better. So that sounds incredible. I wish they brought that up in the documentary. (laughs) Right, right, right. When you mentioned that documentary, you know, light bulb went off. That's also something early I can remember watching as a kid. I remember that, you know, on A&E and the biography channel, there was a biography channel. I can remember, you know, coming in after school or something or on a weekend, like wanting to watch that, like that was my happy place. So I, when you mentioned that biography, I was like, yes, I'm familiar with that one. But yeah, I mean, Dorothy, when you mentioned her being like the black Marilyn Monroe, I also see a lot of, in a way, particularly with Carmen Jones, sort of a parallel also with Rita Hayworth. She comes to my mind because it's sort of like the Gilda You know, I think Carmen Jones is sort of Dandridge's Gilda, the quote of Rita Hayworth, the men, you know, and they wake up with Rita Hayworth, you know, but it's Gilda that they have in their mind. And there's such a parallel between Dorothy and Rita, I think, in some ways in life in general. And then also just when when I watch Carmen Jones, I'm like, this is sort of her Gilda. Like, I think people were expecting Carmen with Dorothy. And if you open up her life, It's way more than that. You know, in her personal life, she wasn't that Carmen person in her personal life. 
And I think that it's something her sister would talk about. Like people didn't realize that this person that they're associating with, this person that they think she is, she wasn't, you know, even when she tried to get the job for Carmen to begin with that first meeting, she's all like, you know, very sophisticated because, well, that's who I am. And it goes into the conversation with her sister. And she's like, no, we, we don't show up like this when you're trying to get a job to be Carmen Jones. You have to walk in there and be Carmen. And so when you brought up the Black Marilyn Monroe, it's just Rita Hayworth always comes to my mind when I think of Dorothy's life and then that Carmen Jones film. I think that's a fantastic comparison, honestly. I am really familiar with Rita and I couldn't think of anything better. I think you kind of, you beat my comparison for sure because I totally agree. Thinking back on the things that I have learned about Dorothy and seeing pictures of her and clips of her from like Sun Valley Serenade and other little blips of her that I've seen, she was so gentle and honestly very feminine and shy. That's kind of how she came off to me, very graceful. And Carmen is just a total 180. I feel like she really found something within herself that she brought out to the screen in that performance. Right. I agree with you. When you were mentioning films that you would like to see more of her films, there's one called, I think it's Moment of Danger with Trevor Howard. If you haven't seen that one. I love Trevor Howard. So I need to see this. It's a later film. This is after Carmen. It's sort of dare I say, like sort of noirish a bit. So it's interesting if you can ever find a copy of that or, or get an opportunity to see that one. I'd really recommend that one. You get to see the different sides of her ability to be more than just an entertainer. There's something about her. And that's one thing. If you notice how people who are around her, who met her from Olga James, you know, and, and Carmen Jones or Diane Carroll or Brock Peters, they talk about like an inner light. And I think we sometimes find those people in our own everyday lives that cross our path or that we know personally that we have a relationship with. And when you try to explain that to someone, like who they are, and it's just like, you can't really put it into words. It's just like, they have this inner light. And if you notice how they talk about Dorothy, it's like, they can't really put it into words. It's They're almost telling you, you had to be there. Like you had to see her and how they would observe her. And she seemed very quiet. It could be interpreted as her being cold. But if you were lucky enough, I guess, to get into, you know, past her fences or past her wall, they say it wasn't that at all. She was very shy and, and very insecure about certain things. And it was very important to her how she was perceived. So in some cases, it was best just to kind of let me just be reserved and let me just observe everything and watch everything. And I think that's kind of something to take away from Dorothy. She was just more than an entertainer. She does that job well, but there's an inner light, I think, that you can see with her on screen when you watch any of her films that you just wish things would have turned out differently with her career choice or with her career path ahead. Before we get into it, here's a short little ad for our Patreon. If you are a fan of old Hollywood, classic entertainment, and the joy of pop culture history in all its forms, please subscribe to our Patreon page like these wonderful people, Christine Meyer, Danny, David Floyd, Jacob Haller, MCF, and Rachel Kramarchuk. Our Patreon is located at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. A special reminder, if we can get up to 100 subscribers, we're looking forward to posting a deep dive into an infamous movie in ticklish business circles. Does love truly mean never having to say you're sorry? 
well, if we can get to our goal, you'll hear all of our opinions on Love Story. Trust me, there's a lot of them. Also, stay tuned for details on a special giveaway we're doing to coincide with the TCM Classic Film Festival. We're working with Breakfast at Dominique's to give away a special coffee prize pack. We'll have more details coming your way before the fest. Now, back to the show. I love that Gilda comparison because for me, my head went to immediately Gilda put the blame on Mame. That's that star-making arrival. That first scene where she walks in and the red dress and going into that first number, it's like, boom, I'm here. I'm a star. But at the same time, I love what you said there about the inner light. Just watching those clips from Bright Road, the ability she had just to wrap her head around the dramatic. That was a very quiet movie, a very sensitive movie, a very heartfelt movie. She connected with it. And you could see that beyond Carmen as a very bright, vibrant character. There was so much more to her as an actress. And that really comes through so much. And it's really the tragedy and something like this. Where else could it have gone? That's definitely one of the things that I was so surprised about when I was watching that documentary. I learned, of course, about her relationship with Otto Preminger, who directed Carmen Jones and directed her in, I believe, one or two other films. Yes. Right, right. The thing that I heard during their relationship, he was very controlling and he basically told her, don't take any parts unless they're starring roles while they were together. And unfortunately, there were no starring roles to be had. So for years after Carmen Jones, she had no work because she wouldn't take anything supporting. Truly throughout her career, it seems she wouldn't take roles that were beneath her which I think can't be said for a lot of actors at the time. And there just weren't the roles that she obviously proved she was able to play. And that's really the tragedy of it, I think. Yes. When you say that, that's something that always crosses my mind when thinking of Dorothy or looking at her body of work and so much potential there to do so many things. When you watch her, at least for me in any given film, in the back of my mind, I'm kind of like you know, casting her in other films and and, in other roles and and wishing she could have co-starred with this person or that person, or I wish she would have had the opportunity to do a film as, you know, some of her counterparts, like, you know, the other actresses were able to do. And, and of course, you know, the studio system and, and being a woman of color, it just, that opportunity, it wasn't there, but I can't help but in the back of my mind saying if it was just an even playing field all the way around, can you just imagine what kind of films that she would have been able to grasp and do? I mean, from musicals or noir or or just comedy or romance, there's just such an, I think, an endless possibility of her career on what she would have been able to do had times been different. Exactly. And I was going to jump into this much later, but it feels like a great transition now. I mean, talking about Carmen Jones and the Oscars, the fact that she was recognized for her performance in one of the toughest years imaginable that I can think of in terms of performances for a woman. I was flabbergasted when I read it because everybody talks about that 1955 year being, you know, it's Grace Kelly versus Judy Garland. That Judy Garland performance was such a dominant force and Grace Kelly, obviously, but you have Audrey Hepburn in there, you have Jane Wyman as well, and you have Dorothy Dandridge right up there with everybody else. 
with even an, an uneven playing field. She was able to be recognized for this dominant, dominant performance in a heck of a year for the top award for actresses. And prior to that, I mean, Hattie McDaniel was the previous performer who had won. And I had looked up what Ethel Waters had been nominated. But prior to that, Dorothy was on her own. And that's so poignant to think about. I can't imagine the surprise and the effect that she had on audiences at that time to be given that honor and really break that barrier. I was watching sort of Diane Carroll's, she was talking about her reaction to finding out about the nomination. And I just want to point out, we discussed it in the last episode, but I love Diane Carroll. I had the privilege to meet her and her just talking about everyone that she knew is just the most incredible thing ever. And she talked about her reaction to Dorothy being nominated for this film. And she basically said, none of us cared if she won. It was just such a huge deal for Dorothy to be nominated and for her to get that acclaim that she deserved and to be put opposite Audrey and Jane Wyman for Magnificent Obsession, which was a huge, huge film, and Grace and Judy, just that, that really was a phenomenal year. And I mean, it's so difficult to say who deserved it? You know, who could we have given this to? It's impossible. I'm a huge Grace Kelly fan. So everyone talks about the Grace versus Judy. I'm team Grace. But if we're throwing Dorothy in there, I don't know. I mean, especially after watching this film again, it's the performance of her career. And you can't say that about Grace or necessarily Judy or necessarily Audrey (laughs) or Jane Lyman. So... Two things came to my mind, and that was one thing you had stated earlier, and that was Dorothy with the King and I. Don't do it because you're not going to be the the lead person in that. And I always have such mixed feelings about that. I think more of me wishes she would have done it. Nothing against Rita. I mean, hello. (laughs) But I just, I really wish Dorothy would have done it. I would like to think possibly she could have made something out of that and use that as another driving force. No, I'm not going to be the lead in this. But I just felt like that was such an elaborate, everyone knows that film. I mean, I grew up knowing The King and I. Before I think I even watched the whole film all the way through, I'm already quoting, you know, Yul Brenner. It's such a identifiable film. And when you think about it, to have Dorothy Dandridge in that, I just wish that would have turned out differently. When you, when you said that, it also made me think of in the book on Dorothy Dandridge, we were talking a little bit about, about that earlier by Donald Bogle. He mentions how when she would come on during Carmen Jones, when she, they were filming Carmen Jones, when she would come onto the lot people were just captivated. Like everyone stopped and looked at this woman getting out of her car. And because, you know, this, it was just, again, like that light, it was something different about her. And then of course, you know, being a black woman in this, you know, getting out of the car and going in to shoot the film. But I think it's more than just her being a black woman in this position. I think just her presence and what she gave off as just being a person, a human being, as being a woman, I think that had a lot to say about Dorothy. So what you were saying, it made me immediately think about that passage in the book on how people, when she came onto the lot, people turned and looked because there was just something about her that everyone wanted to to look at this beautiful person coming into work for today. 
That is so incredible. Sort of touching on what you said about the King and I, I think the thing about Dorothy to me is I really wish, and it's a shame she didn't grab all of the roles that she could have grabbed, no matter what the size, no matter what the scope. I think the thing about Dorothy, just watching her blossom throughout her life when watching that documentary all eyes were on her, no matter what she was doing, no matter how significant or insignificant the role was. I distinctly remember when I was watching Sun Valley Serenade, I was aware of who she was, but even if I wasn't, my eyes would have been right on her because she holds her own in just that small of a part. So to think of her in something like The King and I, which of course people still adore to this day, it's a shame even in a small part that she didn't do it. Well, that actually sounds like a good opportunity to swing us. People are probably sitting here going, well, talk about the film already. So we are talking about 1954's Carmen Jones, which, of course, Dorothy Dandridge, known as the lead. I would call it a operatic musical drama starring Dorothy Dandridge opposite Harry Belafonte, Pearl Bailey, Diane Carroll, who has come up in the last three Ticklish Business episodes, so you can tell we've been having a lot of fun with Diane Carroll. Joe Adams, Olga James, and directed by Otto Preminger. Story comes from a Broadway play, previously opera, novel. This work has a long, 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 long history, and this is yet another iteration. This 1940s retelling of this popular story, Carmen is a young woman working at a parachute plant. She's vibrant, full of life, knows what she wants, meets and falls into company with a young soldier, Joe, played by Harry Belafonte, who has his own fiance at the time, Cindy Lou. He has to take Carmen to jail after one thing leads to another. He ends up infatuated with her. One thing leads to another again. Again, drama, 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 and I don't want to give away the ending, but most people probably already know. Start with your history with this movie. We talked about your history with Dorothy, and this question is open to either one of you if you want to jump in. And your thoughts on it, your history with it, just any thoughts you have to get us going. Like I said, this is really the second time that I watched this film. I couldn't really tell you the first, but I know that my huge appeal to this and Lord knows I could not go through this episode without talking about Pearl Bailey. I will probably throw more and more praise on her as the episode goes on. But she is like one of my icons. I have 10 different records of her. I absolutely adore her. I'm like cooking her recipes all the time. She's like one of my favorite people. She's buried down the street from where I live. So I bring her flowers, the whole thing. I really, really love her. So I probably watched this because of her. And the fact that she is the only person who does her own singing, I think is just the most incredible thing. (laughs) So I watched this for the second time just yesterday with a friend. My friend is African-American and he didn't really know a whole lot about Black film history. He had no idea who Dorothy Dandridge was, didn't know anything about this film. And it was very interesting showing him this film. We both kind of pieced out wow, this could actually be remade if we change this, 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 and this. (laughs) And we kind of appreciated it for what it was and really put it under the microscope for what it wasn't and what still had to be changed and had to change in society and history. I think the thing that just was the most awkward was a lot of the pronunciations in the songs that just really struck a sour note 
But yeah, I, I would say the second time that I had seen it, and I remember enjoying it the first time, but I think I really focused on the details of all of the performances in it a lot more this time and really appreciated them, particularly Harry Belafonte too, because I remember he was like, meh. Basically, I watched him the first time. I was like, he's no Sydney Poitier. <laughs> and that was my takeaway. This time I watched him, I was like, all right, he's, he's pretty great. <laughs> Again, I think with Carmen Jones for me, early memory, early childhood memory, before you see the film, you knew the red and black ensemble. That's the first thing that you caught on. And then when you get to see it in action and film, then we have a conversation going. The film itself, there's a lot I could say about it. That's why I was just so excited to be able to talk about it. But I think for me, again, with that Rita Hayworth parallel, you know, Rita plays Carmen, also in Carmen. And seeing it done this time with Dorothy Dandridge and Harry Belafonte, which, which is kind of like another parallel because I love Rita with Lynn Ford. They do Carmen together. And then, you know, here we have Harry and Dorothy, who I just... I mean, like wrap the heart around it. Like I love seeing them together. I love seeing them in Bright Road. And I just love seeing them together in this film. And now we get to see them in color together. But I think even if we threw out, okay, well, let's just say this wasn't based upon an opera. Say there was no, even there's no music in it. I think there's still something there if that wasn't even a part of the story. Um, because I find myself at times getting so wrapped up into the connection of these characters and these two specifically that when the music comes in, there are times I'm like, oh, okay, right. We're in a musical here. We're in, a, we're in an opera. So I have to get my mind back onto their singing. And I don't want to misquote or miss say who, who said this, but I think it was Diane Carroll because hello, huge, huge Diane Carroll fan here. But I think it was her who said that something about Carmen is that it wasn't a Black film on being Black. This was a film that just so happened to be Blacks telling the story. These are just everyday people in an everyday situation, and we're entering their lives for a moment, almost like an old-time radio program. Now we're entering the life of, and, and so we're seeing this world. Yes, I do another take back. I kind of sit back a little bit is with the pronunciation, although I cannot get Pearl Bailey Beat the rhythm uh, of the drum. I can't get that. Like I've been singing that like ever since I find out I was invited to come on here. It's like that song has been like in my mind. And again, I'm too a huge Pearl Bailey fan, but I would recommend anyone to watch this, whether you're, oh, I'm not really big into opera or I'm not really big into musicals. Just watch it anyway. I think I would recommend anyone to watch it and then kind of form an opinion for yourself on what you think of it. But this being such a prolific moment not in just Dorothy Dandridge's career, but also just in the entertainment as a whole as having like, okay, now I think it was Harry Belafonte who said that it wasn't just an all black cast, just like we had seen with, you know, Stormy Weather or Cabin in the Sky, but there were also blacks on the other side of the production as well. There was a hope that this was a momentum to like, let's just kind of keep this going. I have my mixed feelings about Carmen Jones with, with some of it, with the dialogue on, on some of the pronunciation of the words. But at the same time, when I watch it, it's like a celebration. Like I get to see like we're dressed up and we're here and it feels good to be a part of something, a community. And it's like, 
oh, I'm seeing myself reflected on screen and the costuming. I love the wardrobe. I hate that she didn't do the costume designer, uh, Marianne Nyberg. I hate that she didn't do more films. There's not a lot. I think, what, four? I think she just did four films. But if you wanted to see, I mean, the bandwagon is like the pinnacle. Like, <laughs> I love the costuming and the bandwagon. But if you want to take it down a notch on, on stuff you could even possibly get away with wearing every day with Dorothy Dandridge's, Dandridge's wardrobe alone, I love the costuming in it. I love the colors. It's so vibrant and beautiful that it's like you just want to jump into, and that's what a film is supposed to be, right? Like that's, you need a moment to get away from whatever it is that you're trying to get away from in life. If it's just work or just not a good week or whatever, that's what we love cinema for. Like, I just want to step into the screen for a minute. And I think Carmen Jones does have that inviting presence to it when you do watch it. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. The luscious candy color cinemascope from the first frame, from that introductory credit sequence through everything. Yeah, you just want to be in there. Everything looks flawless and perfect. You know, a frame doesn't go wrong. What really struck me watching this was that cast. I did not know about the dubbing on any of them, to be honest. I watched it yesterday. I was captivated. I'm like, these are, you know, I had so many thoughts. And then I started reading. I'm like, half of them are dubbed. I rewatched to see how the dubbing would change my headspace and if it would. But just thinking about these performers, so many of them just coming up because what Harry Belafonte had released his first album roughly a year before. This was what Diane Carroll's first credit. Pearl Bailey had largely been what on stage. She had had maybe a couple of film roles by this point. So this is largely Dorothy Dandridge had one or two starring vehicles before this. This was really her coming into her own as well to see this tremendously talented cast firing on all cylinders, looking absolutely perfect. That was the art right there. These people all looking their best, performing their best. I wouldn't have changed anything about that. And that was really what struck me the first time through. It reminds me of a specific Sammy Davis Jr. quote. I believe he said in like the 70s or 80s, he was talking about the desegregation of Las Vegas nightclubs. And he talked about how he was, of course, glad that that happened, but there was a sense of community that was lost when that happened. And when I watched this movie, you could pick out any single person in it and just list off a dozen things that they did for cinema. Diane Carroll, Pearl Bailey, what she did for music. Of course, Dorothy. Of course, Harry Belafonte. Of course, Brock Peters. Any of them. And they're all in this one movie. So every time I watch it, and I just see Pearl and Diane and Dorothy all in one cute little group in their gorgeous, gorgeous costumes. I'm just thankful, to be honest. I'm like, wow, I'm like appreciating them all at once. It's the cutest thing ever. And I just love it. That's exactly the energy that you get when you come into it. You know, when you and when you mentioned about the singing with, with the dubbing, for me, Marilyn Horn, who does the dubbing for Dorothy, she talks about her experience trying to mimic and and she had a very intricate relationship with even watching like how Dorothy just watching her movements what she does and when you think about it that's what you would expect someone to do if you're going to imitate 
Okay. I need to, and, and she wanted to even just her speaking voice, like trying to nail that down to get the right pitch. And for me, Dorothy, more than the others, if you didn't know it, you would think that's Dorothy singing. And I think if I'm not mistaken, some of it may have been like a little bit of her voice leading into, you know, I guess that fine a melding line. technique. Yeah. Right. Right. But I, I love that even with Dorothy, I think with Dorothy and Harry, well, all of them having some kind of singing background, even with Husky Miller, you know, all of them had some kind of singing background. I think that does play well with being able to mimic it because having that range of, I know how to, to sing, it doesn't look like they're lip syncing. Cause you know, when we do it in the mirror or what have you, I think we can get very theatrical with what we're doing, but they do it to a point that, okay, this is me singing. Like, I'm just going to put on this hat of this is me singing. And I think they play that so well that it is kind of a revelation when you find out this isn't their voices. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I thought Olga James does, I'll have to look that up. If she, I thought she does use her own. I, I believe she voice. does. I believe she is one of the, she is not dubbed and Pearl Bailey was not dubbed. Well, yeah, we yeah. know Miss Pearl. We know, yeah. we, you uh, know the, she wasn't. She wasn't you you couldn't, you couldn't dub Pearl. I mean, you can say the same thing about Harry Belafonte with how big of a career he ended up having, but I guess his voice and Dorothy's voice just didn't suit like the operatic it, style of the film. Whereas- I guess Pearl was sort of like a side, more comedic character. Her voice was okay. It's very accessible opera. It didn't hit my ear like opera, opera, opera. So it was like you have all these ridiculously trained singers in here already. So it was like, they're, of course, it's just for singers in a musical. Of course, they're going to be doing their own singing. What do you mean? So they're, you know, these are dubbed performances. And it was a very good dub job. I think you hit the nail right on the head there, Dominique. I think that probably goes a lot into it right there. Because had I not have read into that, I don't think I would have known. <laughs> Honestly, that was one of the reservations that I had showing it to my friend yesterday. I was like, so there are some dated racial things in here, but also you might not like it because it's an opera. <laughs> Is basically what I told him. And I was really worried about that, showing it to somebody who really hasn't seen very many old movies, much less an opera old movie. And he loved it. I was so surprised by how much he ended up enjoying it and how he literally said it didn't feel like an opera to me. The plot was there. The songs were really catchy. I was able to get into them. So I definitely agree. It's a very accessible opera. It's not like I'm leading with Jeanette McDonald and Nelson Eddy here or Deanna Durbin or anything. <laughs> Olga James, she's still living. You know what I would really, really love? I did rewatch it again just for this. Like, okay, let's get back into it. And while I was watching it, dare I say that I would not mind it at all if there was a Criterion release for Carmen Jones. I, you know, I don't know the whole specifications on how it's chosen, which why they choose the films that they choose. But for me and my classic film mind, there's a lot of elements that seem to meet the criteria, the colors alone and what it represented for that particular point in time in cinema history. There's just so many elements about it, but I would love to hear Miss Olga talk a little bit. It's kind of like catch these people while you can, please, because this year is kind of crazy. 
So I would love to catch these stories a little bit more while we can just to hear just thoughts today about it. Like, just let's talk about that. Right. I think it's really overdue. Just getting a nice new cover, contextualizing it, really getting into the behind the scenes and all the things you could do as far as commentary. I didn't even know Olga James was alive until you just told me. And I just looked it up and I am so happy because she was another one. I don't even remember her character existing the first time that I watched it. But this time she was really front and center for me. And I really liked it. She was like the perfect foil to Dorothy. And she was so cute and so talented. When you mentioned that you recognize her the second time through, it's amazing when I, at the time I was trying to look up, when I get fascinated by someone, I want to look into their filmography. Like what other films can I get into and what else do they do? And sometimes you find out they went on to be a director or a producer, or there's so many other things that they ended up doing. And with all that, I was so like, my feathers dropped. Like that was kind of, that was it. But she did go on to do Mr. Wonderful with Sammy Davis Jr. I think 1956 on stage. So it's not that like her career ended there. And then she was married to Cannonball Adderley. Like that was just like, I loved that story. They ended up first, she was like, just kind of singing on tours and things. And it just started rolling one thing into the other. And they ended up being married until he died. And that was just like, to me, as as just a music fan and a jazz fan. I mean, I listened to, to Cannonball like regularly around the house or in the car. So finding that out that they were married, but I would love to catch these stories while we can. The fact that she is still with us and it look at least Harry Belafonte is still with us. And then it looks like Marilyn Horn as well from the dubbing perspective. There are still so many stories that can be told. I mean, we only recently lost Diane Carroll, which still hurts. I mean, there are stories that need to be preserved. And like you said, this is just such an important film and you can see the presence. I can completely see exactly where you're coming from with it. Yeah, this should be a criterion. So much research, so many discussions, stories that still could be told and gosh darn it, let it live on because to refer back to the podcast you were on earlier, Porgy and Bess, we don't see to have such a, a Sydney Poitier performance like that so hard to find. It's like, let's not do that. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I have seen Porgy and Bess once because I am a Sydney Poitier completionist. And I mean, of course, there are definitely reasons why he shouldn't have taken that role. And there are so many things you could say, a lot more than Carmen Jones, you could say is wrong about Porgy and Bess. But erasing it is like erasing history. And it's the same exact thing that I was referring to earlier. Just seeing all of these people on this screen at one time is such a privilege no matter what. And we should be able to see it and continue that discussion. I think that's so important. You mentioned even earlier, there isn't an unknown name, even if you don't know their names in Carmen Jones, you see them and you can pinpoint back something else that they had done for the most part. I know we talked about Olga, but there's something that you can reach back with. I mean, I grew up on Roy Glenn and Nick Stewart, who I know it's very controversial, but You know, I grew up in a household that played Amos and Andy. My dad had Amos and Andy. uh, And I'm talking about the TV. Let's I'm talking about the TV program, Tim Moore and and Spencer Williams. And so I grew up on that because he had VHSs of them because that's what 
he grew up on. So as a kid, you grow up on these things. So you don't really see the controversy in it as others might see it. When I saw them in Carmen Jones, I'm like, oh, I know them because I see them in, in Amos and Andy. But, you know, even Nick Stewart went on to have a huge impact on Black performers, you know, opening up his own theater to teach other Blacks in acting and how to get your foot in the door. And, and I, th- I think stories like that, I'm, I'm always posting about things like that year round. This isn't just a February thing. Because I think those, those stories are important to tell. And instead of just the controversy behind it, look at some of the things that they did with that and, and how they used it to their ability. Like, okay, you might try to stereotype me with this, but I'm going to do this with it. So I think it's very important to just, instead of criticizing it, let's see what they did with it, if, if that makes sense. I hate to get super controversial here, but I kind of feel the same way about Hattie McDaniel and Gone with the Wind. I think as long as we continue those conversations about this is what is wrong in Gone with the Wind, but look, it got Hattie McDaniel on that stage and she was able to do that and be that person for so many people and have her voice heard. That's how I feel about it. And I think the fact that Dorothy was able to do the same thing and be sexy and be a leading lady in a film of this magnitude, I think that's so special regardless. There's such power in representation. That is a soapbox that I will always hit. To see somebody who looks like you, to see somebody who you can identify with, see yourself in, you know, whatever level of the representation it is, completely agreed 100% because you talked about that with Kristen on your episode, being able to highlight those stories that don't get told, those performers that who we might not necessarily talk about, who might not necessarily get the same airplay as the other more prominent people. But there are so many important, vital stories throughout this industry, through so many different groups that we should spotlight. Who knows when something is going to hit for some kid out there somewhere. I was a kid sitting there listening to classic radio. There's We all come at things from different places, from different experiences. And it, that's why these stories need to be told. These stories need to be shown because you never know who you're going to affect. Right. In hearing you talk about that, my mind even went back to the film. Uh, and I keep bringing up Olga James, but with her playing Cindy Lou, at first, you know, that was the role that Dorothy was offered when Otto saw her, you know, in her very sophisticated, you know, the first time that they met. And I loved how Diane, Miss Diane Carroll, how she laid out how his office was, like, you know, how intimidating He tried to make it, maybe not try to make it, just how intimidating it was to go into that office. You can just imagine a Dorothy Dandridge walking in there. It plays so well in my mind when I hear the story of her walking in there. And that's what he saw with Cindy Lou. And I I love the impression of changing his mind into, no, this is, I'm Carmen. And when watching Carmen Jones this time through, I even tried to imagine Dorothy in that Cindy Lou role, no doubt she could probably do it just being an actress. But I'm so glad that because I think Olga, she does bring something to it. I think that does catch your attention. And you do wish she would have done something else, done something more with film. And I again, I think it was Diane Carroll who mentioned that they thought this was going to be that driving force that you're going to see more of this. But then after a while, it kind of kicked in like, Maybe not. But 
with that nomination with Dorothy Dandridge, I know we hear a lot every year, oh, it's just an honor to be nominated. It's just an honor to be nominated. I don't really think that's like a cliche thing. I think in some cases and instances, it really is an honor to be nominated. And I can only imagine what was going through Dorothy's mind knowing she was just that night, just being there. I mean, if you've ever seen the clip of her when she's just, I think she's just announcing who the winners are going to be and it ended up being on the waterfront. She was talking about how just nervous she was just being there. You feed off of her exuberance of excitement, I think, when you watch her. And there's photos of her at Cannes when she's there to promote Carmen Jones. And there's an energy that you get from her in those photos that cannot be faked. You could tell that there's there's just an overwhelming happiness and you want the best for her. And there's some photos that I've shared before, and I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people have seen them in other places where it's just her. I think she's at a villa and it's just her in this like light colored dress. I would, in my mind, although it's a black and white photo, I would think it's a white dress. And she's just kind of like a playful person. Just you could tell there's so much more to this woman than the one track I think sometimes that we can get on. I remember I was doing a theatrical production for Black History Month. I was invited to do a production highlighting Black women of the arts. Dorothy Dandridge immediately came to my mind. I want to do something with her. We're going to have to do a number with her in it. And I came up with a choreography to do the number. And when we were performing it, it was being recorded. And usually after a theatrical production the next day, I'll 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 go back and watch it and see like, what did the audience think? How did we do and everything? And it's kind of funny. I had as a backdrop for Dorothy's section that I was doing for that segment, a lot of photos of Dorothy that I'd put together to go in time with the music as we were performing on the stage. And at the end of it, everyone's clapping. When I played it back, you can hear my mom saying, gosh, she was beautiful. And it's like for that to register, like you could hear that over the clapping. That's the kind of, I think, energy that Dorothy gave out. Like it kind of takes your breath away and you just kind of stop and you're like, wow, like she's beautiful. You know what? It's amazing that you tell that story. Number one, that's a fantastic story. The first Dorothy Dandridge film I saw must have been Carmen Jones. And it stuck in my mind as being a good film. But I will never forget the first picture I saw of Dorothy. It's the one where she's backstage or in her dressing room and she sort of has like a powder puff to her chin. I will never forget that picture. And it really blew me away in the same exact way. I was like, wow, that is like one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. Did not matter. You know, I wasn't thinking about race. I wasn't thinking about where her career went. I was just like, wow, she is just stunning. And I think that's the kind of effect she had on people. I love the sense of promise that came with this film. Because, I mean, you both hinted at it. And I, when looking through the press for this movie, I'd seen a clip from, it came out of the Pittsburgh Courier, a writer named George F. Brown. And he was talking about this film and where it stands in the history of everything and how much more money that was put into this film with this cast, how much money there is and how good it looks and just how it sets up these people to shine and the places this can go if more can be done and if this keeps happening. And looking at it from a 1955 lens, you know, seeing these quotes and seeing this film and I dug more into the awards 
performance of this. This won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy and Musical, which I did not know. Dorothy was also nominated for the BAFTA that year, going up against, once again, ridiculously formidable competition. Got Judy and Grace in there, but you've got Julie Harris, legend. You've got Katherine Hepburn in there. You've got Betsy Blair for Marty, who I believe ended up winning. The mind reels at how it must have felt and how just it all comes across. And that love in the film to me really shines through and just the power behind what they must have been feeling, you know, both in front of and behind the camera. I wish there was some way to see the Broadway production of it. I wish, you know, there was like how we do now on on PBS, we get to see Broadway shows now. I would have liked to have seen it on Broadway before they did the Carmen Jones, because I think Brock Peters, he also was in the Broadway production. This, you know, Carmen Jones, the film being his first, like his film debut, but he was, if I'm not mistaken, he was in the Broadway production. I would have liked to have seen that as well. But again, I think Carmen Jones, music, opera or not, I think it would have worked even if it wasn't based on anything else, even if it wasn't an opera. I think it was just a pure, what would you call it? Like romantic drama. This would have worked just, yeah, as a drama. You know, there's such power there. Right, right. It would have, I think it would have worked. And and those scenes between Dorothy and Harry and the flats are just, you kind of get wrapped up into their story. Just seeing those two on screen. And those are two people I love to see. I even love to like scroll through photos of seeing them together. I think they worked beautifully and bright road. Island in the Sun, I think my drawback with that is that, you know, they really didn't have any scenes together. I mean, outside just the sort of the beginning to sort of set it up. But after that, they don't really. And then then when you think about it, then that's it for them on screen. We just get those films for them. I would have loved for them to do something else, maybe on the lines of Carmen Jones or something like it, where they played off of one another. I would have enjoyed to see them together again. Would have been great to see them with more freedom in the 70s, you know, had we not lost her so young. The 70s with more artistic freedom, with more storytelling power, God, that could have been phenomenal. So many of these classic actors and actresses of color who got to star in contemporary films and works. I wish Dorothy could have seen how cinema history developed after she was gone. I would have loved to see her in something contemporary. Like, I mean, even Harry Belafonte was in Judas and the Black Messiah. I found out yesterday. I was like, wow. Okay. (laughs) Imagine if Dorothy Dandridge had been in something like that. (laughs) There's no telling where her career would have gone. Diane Carroll got some really dynamic roles later in life. So there's no telling how, you know, amazing her career would have been. I'm sure given her status in the 50s, people would have created roles for her (laughs) if she had been around. No, totally agree. And you know, a film that came to my mind thinking the other day, as I love Buck and the Preacher as is with the casting because I love Ruby D. I love that she was able to get out there and she was able to do her thing. But I love to have seen Dorothy Dandridge, Harry Belafonte, and Cindy Poitier do a Western together. It didn't even have to be Buck and the Preacher. Like, let us have that and then also have Cindy Poitier and Harry Belafonte with Dorothy Dandridge doing a Western. 
I would have loved to have seen that. Cause I think Dorothy could have gotten down and dirty and like show, like, it's not all about looks. Like I can hang in there with the rest of everyone else and do my thing. I think she would have been able to, to do that. So it's not only that even playing field, not having that completely there, but also to lose her, it's like a double, like, uh, you know, it's like a double hit that we didn't even get to see her progression as, as an actress. Because if you even hear or, or listen to how her nightclub scenes, like in the 50s, like doing the combo, you hear those stories of the act that she would put on and how like she captivated that audience. And yet, you know, her being her going back, you know, at, in her dressing room or something, and you would think it would be all light and fire. And she was curious is why, why are they seeing me? Like, that's amazing to me. Like she couldn't see what everyone else was seeing. And I think that kind of speaks volumes to her as a person. I think that's something that a lot of actresses in the studio system struggled with. I know I mentioned Jean Tierney when we were doing the episode on her, that she definitely didn't see in herself what everyone else saw in her. And similarly, she died before she was really critically appreciated and before she saw the effect that she had on cinema and on history you can't even count the number of people who have been inspired by Dorothy Dandridge it's just throughout the decades and she will continue to inspire and will continue to have these conversations about her my last question Dominique probably more one for you just in terms of Dorothy Dandridge's career is there a film that you would recommend outside of Carmen Jones for people to check out who might not be as familiar with her career I would definitely have people check out. Well, I would actually have them check out Island in the Sun. I know it gets kind of like a mixed reaction or a mixed view, but even if it's just to see her and Harry again together, but there is a lot to be said about that film with the scenes with her and the not kissing thing. And that's a whole other topic. I'll put it that way. But also, like I was saying, there was a film, I think it's called Moment of Danger with her and Trevor Howard. I would really recommend people to look that up. But also any film that you can catch her in, almost like Sun Valley Serenade, like Atlantic City, where you can catch elements of her just in those little in-between shots of her performing, whether it's like in that case with her and Louis Armstrong or films with her and her sisters, just to see that transition. And one thing, it's a short, it's like a, it's a musical short where she's singing Cow Cow Boogie because that's like one of my favorite songs anyway. So if you can look that up and just, and watch her and just that little short. But I think for me, any Dorothy Dandridge film that you can get your hands on, that you can find and watch, please do so. I would encourage really her filmography. I have a list actually of her filmography just to do my own Dorothy Dandridge challenge, just to find as many as I can and watch as many as I can just throughout the years. And it's something I've never regretted because I think she's someone to pay attention to, to watch her transition from the start. Because, you know, think about it. She started at a very, very, very young age, being in the spotlight, budding her career with just, you know, her and her sisters. Well, her sister, I'm sorry, the third was not her sister, but they were dubbed the Dandridge sisters. But I think don't miss an opportunity just to watch her in anything, anything that you can find with her in it, go through her filmography and watch it. I'd never regretted that. The shorts are, I've saw a number of those on YouTube, Cow Cow Boogie, things like that. So those are listeners, those are definitely readily available, the places where you can get them. And those are fun. Those little musical specialty numbers really are just delightful. 
sticking with you. Where can people check out what you're working on, get in touch with you? Well, I am at Dominique Review, spelled R-E-V-U-E on Twitter and on Instagram. So you can find me there. And also if you would like to subscribe to my YouTube channel, also Dominique Review on my YouTube channel, you can find my creative work, theatrical productions, I do designing. I design clothes that are completely inspired by classic cinema from Topper with Constant uh, Bennett. I, I have like kind of a knock on her dress in the Philadelphia story. We all know the Catherine Hepburn skirt. So uh, you can find all of my work there. And also something that I love to talk about is cinema. So you can see my cinema coffee chats where I talk about influences on why films, certain films I'm in love with and just kind of just a coffee talk on cinema, as well as something I recently created called Betty, which is inspired by my grand aunt. She knew people that was her circle, like Pearl Bailey. She had the first modeling agency in 1950s Chicago. So a lot of the people that we were talking about today, (laughs) or people that she ran with, those were people in her circle. She was on the Ted Mack Amateur Hour. You know, she was doing things that... A lot of Blacks at that time were not able to do and traveling and doing things that at that time she was trying to push forward that others can do and, and follow along. Her resume is pretty thick. I mean, Nat King Cole, I can, I can name drop quite a few of them. So if you find me on YouTube, you can find all that good stuff. My short film or my mom, I lost my mom and I did a short film on her. So you can find all that stuff, everything that I do on my YouTube channel, Dominique Review. Amazing. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, that is going to wrap up this edition of Ticklish Business. As always, you can follow Ticklish Business wherever you get your podcasts. Help us out and leave us a review. As every other podcast will tell you, those reviews do matter. We are available across all the social medias, but we do spend most of our time on Twitter, Instagram, and give us a visit on YouTube, why don't you? Please like and subscribe if you feel so inclined. As always, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. We are looking to get 100 subscribers on Patreon. If we get that, subscribers will be treated to a deep dive into a rather infamous movie in ticklish business circles, Love Story. Does love truly mean never having to say you're sorry? Help us out and hear our opinions. Trust me, there's lots of them. Right now, Ticklish Business subscribers can get early access to all videos before they air on the site. And Chris and I will have some bonus content coming your way very soon. Be sure to check out our website at ticklishbiz. That's ticklishbiz.com. I am forever brainstorming new content, and you should be able to navigate over there now and check out our expanded discoveries posts where we talk about everything we didn't have enough airtime to discuss. As always, we'll be back with a new episode soon. Till then.